I'm going to be doing um, each month for a few months a little series called Emotionally Healthy, Healthy Discipleship. Because our calling as believers is to go and make disciples, to teach people and to, to become learners and followers of the Lord Jesus. And we ourselves are called to be disciples of Jesus, to follow him, to learn from him and to be like him in the world. And this series is really about uh, deep transformation and uh, having like a new operating system in the way we see ourselves, our circumstances and other people. Many of the themes won't be new um, to you, but uh, it might be just slightly different language. So in this first one we're going to look at today is make love the measure of maturity. It's really about how do we love really, really well. Jesus linked loving God and loving people. And Jesus modelled and taught that those two things are inseparable. If you know your Bibles, you know that in Co the church in Corinth was super, super, really, really spiritual. They had these amazing encounters and and amazing uh, uh, spiritual gifts, but the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13 to remind them that it's also about love. So 1 Corinthians 13 isn't just a wedding preach, it's about being spiritual people, means loving God and loving people. So this morning is about if we're growing as believers, we should be growing in two things. We should be growing in in growing in our encounters and love for God, our experience of his love, but also growing for our love for people. We, I really love the 12-step program. Step 11 is about having a conscious awareness of God. Step 12 is taking that experience to people in loving service. Often in Jesus' time, people would say it's just about loving God. Jesus made it really clear, love God and love your neighbour as yourself. That was quite a new thought for some people who made everything just about loving uh, God. The Pharisees, if you remember in the Bible, the religious rulers, these were men who, they really knew their Bible. Uh, they were brilliant at the spiritual disciplines. They worshipped faithfully. But people found them to be defensive. They found them to be judgmental. They found the Pharisees to be unapproachable and unsafe to be around. And Jesus had a lot of tough things to say to men who only were preoccupied with loving God but not loving their neighbour as themselves. A few months ago, maybe even a year and a half ago, I posed God a question before going to sleep. And the question was this, how do we love in this world where it's so radically different from what Christians believe? And I posed that question and, and I couldn't sleep that night so I put some earphones on and began to listen to a podcast and was suddenly woken up in the middle of the night with the story of a man called Martin Buber. Martin Buber was a Jewish theologian from 1914. 
And Buber would be a man of ecstatic spiritual experiences. In other words, he would meet with God and he would be on his own with God and have these incredible experiences, emotional feelings. And one morning he had been with God and had an incredible encounter with God. Then in the afternoon there was a knock on his door and a young man came to meet with Martin. And Martin Buber said that he welcomed the young man in and he was kind and attentive to him. But the young man had come with a particular question that he needed answering. And Buber said, I had no interest in wondering why he'd really come. I was just polite, but I wasn't really fully present to the man. Instead, I was still preoccupied with my experience I'd had in the morning. He said he was friendly, but not really present. And the man hadn't come for a chat. He'd come to make a decision about his life. And sadly, Martin Buber found out that the man had come to make a decision about whether he wanted to live or whether he wanted to die. And unfortunately, Martin then heard later on that this young man had committed suicide. And this deeply impacted Martin Buber because he said he was a man who loved God. But suddenly he was aware that he hadn't been a man who loved people. That he was more deeply wanting to have encounters with God, but hadn't been present for this man. Many, many years later, five years later, Martin Buber wrote a book called I... No, called It and Thou. In other words, he said he treated the young man like he was an it. A distraction, an annoyance, someone who got in the way. And he said, I needed to treat him as a thou. In other words, a man created in the image of God who was precious and wonderful and fearfully and made. And so he wrote a book. And that was what I woke up to in the middle of the night, is an explanation of Martin Buber's book and his work on it and thou. And so briefly, I just want to talk really practically of what does it mean to love people really, really well? What does loving others in our world look like? What does it mean to love our families really well? And taken from his book, it's to be really, really present to people. It's to listen really deeply to understand and it's a willingness to say I desire to connect with all people regardless of the differences between us and them. Loving others well means remembering that people are not an extension of ourselves. He says we treat people like an it when we think they're like a tool in our hands. In other words, what they think about us makes us feel better about ourselves. And he says it's like, it's a bit like a mobile phone in our hands. It's just an extension of us. And we mustn't treat people like a mobile phone. They're just gonna give me what I lack. And uh, sometimes we can feel that about we're longing to open our email that we might find an email that's just going to boost us up and make us feel good. It's when we try to get things from people. And actually it's very interesting that we can treat 
telling people the good news about Jesus, but treat people like an it in the process of wanting to tell them good news. Because what we're thinking about is they're going to come to Jesus and I'll have a great story to tell. Or I'm going to prophesy here, or um, maybe I'm the only person who's ever treated people as an it and thought about what a great story this will be, rather than being in the moment with a person who's actually made in the image of God. Jesus is, a, it is the magnificent example of loving really, really well. Take the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus. It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. That Jesus was open to hear where the young man was and what questions that he had about life. There was no control with Jesus. He reckoned, as, he looked, as Jesus looked at the young man, he could see that money and wealth and status and possessions was everything to him. So Jesus went right to the heart of what was holding this young man back. And the young man couldn't cope with what Jesus said. And he walked away. And Jesus doesn't go chasing him, doesn't manipulate him, doesn't go to control him. He allowed him to walk away. Jesus served people regardless of their decision to follow him. It says that many lepers were healed and only, was it only three who came back. So our mission then is to introduce people to Jesus. I love this, uh, this little story about a little girl who, she wakes up in the middle of the night and she's really, really frightened. She thinks there's a monster in her room. So the mum goes into the room to reassure her, there's no monsters in your room, it's okay. And the mum opens the cupboard and says, no, there's nothing in the cupboard and looks under the bed, there's nothing under the bed and scours the room to reassure the little girl. And as she's leaving, the mum says, don't worry, God is with you. And the little girl turns around to the mum and says, I know God is with me, but right now I could do with somebody who's got skin on them. <laughs> it's a profound thing. And we can say to people, God loves you, God's for you, God's real, Jesus died for you. But what people need is people with skin on them who embody being a disciple of Jesus Christ so that when they meet us, they have um, an increasingly similar experience as they would have had had Jesus met with them wherever they are, whether it's office, home, family, supermarket. That being a minister of reconciliation, being missionaries, means in one sense to be God with skin on and um, to be an encounter of love wherever we go. So Jesus is the great example of what that looks like. Um, I'm going to use a theological word. The incarnation is a model for us loving well. <coughs> Jesus wasn't born at Christmas time in a stable. He's eternal. That, that's what John says. He is everlasting. He is <coughs> God. But God became flesh and blood. He became man without ceasing to be God he became man and Philippians says 
that he didn't use the advantages of being God. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit who remained God. And he's a great example of living well. Incarnation was where we get our word chili con carne, which is beans with flesh, basically. <laughs> Incarnation. So, Jesus left his home in heaven and immersed himself in our world. We too must leave our world and enter into the very different world of another human being. That's what we're doing all the time. We're, 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 we've got our, our, our family, where we come from, where our family did things, we've got our, our, our cultural identity, but we've also got our identity of being believers. And every time we go out of our front door or into our front door, we're entering into the very different world of other people and we're there to be around them and to love them well. Jesus held on to himself. So we enter into the very different world of other people at the same time holding on to ourself. Jesus knew who he was and he knew who from where he came. And at the same so he was safe, warm, loving and people felt it. And at the same time, there were, he was holy and sinless. So Jesus is a magnificent example that he could enter into a house like Matthew's house. And you could, have, you could have a zealot, you could have a tax collector, you could have people with awful backgrounds and terrible things. And, and he could be warm and loving to absolutely everyone, not because he had compromised who he is, he knew who he is, under, uh, he knew he was the son of God, and he knew he was holy, and he, he's, he's got no sin in terms of his four attitudes, but he could mix and merge and be around people. And so we, um, we can be with people in the same way. We can know who we are, we can know that we belong to God, and we actually as believers can be with anyone. We could be with anyone, however much they might oppose and disagree with who we are, we can be with anyone without being threatened, as long as we remember who we are. Amen. So if we begin to forget who we are, and begin to become like everyone we're with, that's a problem. Jesus never became like the people he was with, he influenced everybody he was with. And Jesus lived with the tension. So we can listen deeply, even though we don't fully agree with what the other person is saying. And love means we do that without reacting, growing impatient, or becoming defensive. Jesus was straight down the line, asking a question, you'll get a straight answer. Um, but he wouldn't go chasing people. <laughs> And he wouldn't go controlling people, and he uh, didn't look to manipulate people or react in a way because they disagreed with him. So how we view people, going back to Martin Buber's work, is absolutely vital in loving people really, really well. How we view people is critical to loving people. Now, 
Every single human being on the planet is made in the image of God. Now, not every single person on the planet has been born again and has a new nature and is in Christ, but every single person, however fallen they have become, and whatever they're doing, or even however wonderfully good they are, every single person is made in the image of God. That means that every single person you and I meet represents something new, exquisite, and never ever seen before. That every single person, whatever brokenness they present, is an original, unique, and unrepeatable. A treasure. Valuable. Consequently, that means whatever a person believes about life, any topic you can imagine, means that we can come to every single conversation with a person curious. As a humble learner. Even if the choices that someone makes are choices we consider to be biblically wrong, tragic, or even foolish. That's where it gets really hard. So these things can range from your meeting with a friend who's left the church of Jesus and gone to Buddhism. Or someone who says they love Jesus, but has said, I don't really want to get married. Um, I just want to go and, and we just want to live together. Or someone you meet who's had surgery and gender, gender surgery. You can come to all these people and love, love looks like I'm confronted with a worldview I don't understand, but love looks like, an expression of love looks like I am going to be an active listener, or as James 1.19 would say, I'm going to be slow to speak and I'm going to be quick to listen. David, I can't pronounce his name for it, Ostoberger says that being heard is close to being loved, that for the average person they are almost indistinguishable. That being heard is to be loved. Tell me more, you could say to the friend who's gone to Buddhism. Help me understand how you see the world. How did you come to that decision? How did you come to that conclusion? So are you saying then, Jamie, that absolutely anything goes? Are you saying that in this complex world, we should just say there is no absolute truth? Are you saying that Jesus doesn't really have a standard and that's the way he did it and how he loved so well and how he could mix with all these different people because he just didn't really care about right and wrong? 
Are you saying that we should just let go of what God has said is true? And the answer is no. To all of that, we want and long for people to meet the Lord Jesus. We want people to know that he is God. Amen. We want him to know that the cross and the resurrection is the only way to reconciliation with God. We want people to know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. As we've been singing, we want people to come to a, and long for people to come to a place of absolute surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and to the work of the Holy Spirit and the transformating power of the gospel. But this is about how do we navigate a world in which people think so radically different to the way that we do. And if we come to every conversation where people are radically different, but we've not come as a curious learner in humble openness to understand, then we come to every conversation with almost a one-sided mindset, almost a monologue. Maybe we listen, but actually all we're thinking about is what answer we're going to give and how we can bring correction and a course change. We've not really come to listen. Let's be really honest, differences, whether it's family difference, class differences, culture differences, differences make us radically uncomfortable and we find it really hard with that kind of thing where people think differently. In our culture, it's called cancel culture. On social media, someone has a different opinion to someone else and that person could have millions of followers and they're cancelled in a week because they said something that other people didn't agree with. Or we go into the world with a kind of pride, thinking everybody else needs to change. Everybody else needs to hear something to change them. Instead of people feeling that we love them, they feel we've got an agenda for them. We feel like we, they want us to get them to do something. Instead of experiencing warmth and safety and compassion, they feel that we've got a goal to get them to, rather than to really love them in this moment. So to close, let's get really practical. In any conversation, we can ask ourselves, am I fully present or am I distracted? <coughs> am I in a rush? Am I thinking about what I'm going to say next. There's a story about a man who has an opportunity to uh, meet a, a, a guy he was at school with. They'd been at school when they were 15. It was years and years later and they got to meet again. And the man said, before meeting my old classmate, all I could think about was how am I going to impress him? with what I've become and what I've achieved. And as they were talking, he said, all I could really think about is the clever thing I was gonna say in response, that this might impress him. And after the guy left, he thought, I didn't really care a bit about him at all. He was just an object that I was using to feel better about my life. Am I fully present or distracted? Or do I feel overly responsible to correct? So someone tells us about their life 
and we're thinking all the time, how am I going to bring correction into this, feeling overly responsible for people to get them where we want them to be? Another question we can ask is, am I loving or judging? When we judge people, we treat people like they're objects. Whenever we're in judgment of any human being, we gain something through our judgment. Whether it's comparison, I'm much more godly than you are. Whether it's competition, I'm doing better in life than you are. Or moral superiority, my values are superior to yours. Only God has the wisdom and insight to judge people. Not saying there isn't a judgment, but only God can truly judge another human being because only He sees absolutely everything. To land, now this one I find really challenging and it's tricky. When we meet people, are we open to be changed by them? I'm not talking about necessarily by their viewpoint on an, of an issue that we have a clear biblical understanding of, but I'm meaning if they are unique, made in the image of God and exquisite and never to be repeated, when I meet with them, is there something I can receive as a gift from them? Is there something they understand about the world? Is there something about the way they love? Is there something about their values? Is there something about how they express it? Is there something about their creativity? Is there something about their academic understanding that's bringing amazing insights? John Calvin, very, very, very famous theologian, part of the Reformation of the Church, hundreds of years ago, said this, there is only one spirit of truth. And he said that, that even if someone is an anti-God pagan, out of their mouth, if it's truth, there's only one source of that truth. And it's the spirit of truth. So in this world, there's common grace all around us. There are thinkers and writers and artists and men and women whose world is so different to being a world of being a disciple. But if we come to them thinking, you're not an it, you're not a project, you're not an extension of me, you're not a tool, you're not a way that I'm going to make myself feel better about my life by getting a story. I want to understand you. I want to understand how you think. I want to understand the common grace that you carry. I can learn from you. I can have an insight from you. So I'm going to pray for us, Lord Jesus. I pray that, just like in the early, early days of Christianity, that, Christ, that we would increasingly be known for 
loving radically, radically well. I think it was the 4th century, there was this awful plague that moved all the way through the Roman Empire. And people left their families to die in the plague. But the Christians stayed and nursed and loved the dying. They were God with skin on. Pray that for us, God. That everything about us would be rooted in loving you, being loved by you, and then loving the world really radically. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that we would just know how wonderfully loved we are. Yeah. So that when we're in any environment, we're not trying to get things from people, but we already know who we are. Mm -hmm. We've got so much to give away. We're independently wealthy in love. We've got a source and we're drawing on it all the time. We're not getting it from people. And if in any way, God, we've seen... If in any way, God, we've seen things like prophesying over people or even healing people as a way of treating people as an it, I can see I've done that, God. Not seen the person. Just seen them as an extension of me. I know you are so gracious and kind and you've even healed on the back of that. But we want to love really, really well, God. As we go into our week, God, into our families, into our workplaces, into our supermarkets, let's go with that attitude of every person I see, from the cashier to the people in the aisles, our vows made in your image, exquisite, never to be repeated people. God, change our minds, give us new operating systems to, to slow down and to see people. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.